Podcast of the Cinema, starring me, Alonzo Duralde, <laughs> starring you, Dave White. Can one star in a podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I was just doing a riff on Alan Partridge. We are the hosts. Yes. Yeah. Um, Did you say what we do for a living? I uh, know. We're we both were, film critics we're for both The Rap, and yeah, yeah. we are each other's husband. Yeah. And um, it's happy November. Can you even believe it's November? Yes. It's I, all year is about getting to right here, for, <laughs> for me. You. Yeah, for you. I know. For me. I know. Get for Christmas coming up. For the weather getting chilly, uh, and that finally has been happening in yes. Los Angeles. Yes. Yes. Weeks. And, Very and, nice. And yes, chilly asterisk for by Los, Los Angeles, Angeles yeah. standards. So we're clear. Um, I'm going to celebrate November by saying no to everything that you request of me. How would that make that different from any other time of the year? It's going to be enveloped in a, a, a blanket of also saying no to everyone else asking me for things. I see. Okay. So the recalcitrance <laughs> that you demonstrate toward me throughout the year will now be expanded to everyone else. So what fun for all of us. Yeah. Great. Like, ask me, ask me a question right now. Uh, Dave, will you stuff our turkey with jelly beans? I mean, maybe. See, I you I <laughs> thought you might go for that one. I um. Uh, that that was just a stupid thing I had to say, and I didn't. I don't have any follow up. <laughs> Sorry. No further questions at this time. I um. I, I'm. I'm. You ever have one of those days where you are feeling like you've got ha- you're half on the ball and half. Absolutely, like chaos. That I live there. That's that's my today. Yes, like as that you thing can where see, whatever whatever thing you are currently doing can't be the right thing because there's three other things that are that so are important. pressing and urgent and yes. have to be done. Like as you can see, look at this table that we're recording at right now. Clean, <laughs> cleaner than it was <laughs> before. I like that. This is your version of clean. <laughs> You think this is insanely absolute chaos on this table right now. I'm seeing whole stretches of table. Oh, so if you could see the table, yes, then you feel like then you've made an improvement. We're doing a good job. Yes, I understand. Maybe you should embrace my laissez-faire attitude (laughs) and calm down. No, Uh, no, 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 no. So there's that. I'm um, like halfway through the Salvatore Ferragamo movie, like, yes. and I got I, I had to pause mm-hmm. to to do that. And I hate pausing. You know, like here's a the here's a, here's the bitter truth of reviewing the kinds of films I tend to review for the rap off a link. <clears throat> they tend to send them to me on a screening link. Yes. Uh, and this was obviously the only way they did it during 2020 and most of 2021. Yes. But even before then, and now, after, yes, I 
since quitting movies.com in 2015, I have had the luxury of uh, saying yes or no to the films I would review. Uh, and I have uh, very comfortably gone into the, uh, the world of just reviewing art house stuff that I, that I already know I'm really going to be into. <laughs> like it's, it's no pleasure. It's no pleasure, uh, writing a, a review about a crappy, boring, medium, blad, nothing movie. Uh, sure. It's just, it, it's uh, the, the job. times that you have come home from a screening in the past, you know, how's it? It's seven years now of me not working for movies.com yes. where I had to write about everything. The times you've come home from a from a from a movie that you are neither hot nor cold right. about, and you go the worst kind of review to write, <laughs> the mixed, the mixed review about a film that means nothing, that has no reason to be in the world right now. Actually, the hardest I think is the movie that you're really enthusiastic about. No, I, I have that's for me. That's the hardest because I want to try and convey why I'm so excited about this. Without and, saying, OMG, you guys, it's so good. Yes, without being Chris Farley about it and without, well, and also not like live giving away all the good stuff. <laughs> you live with me and I am your editor. It's true. And when you uh, do anything that I don't like in a piece of writing, I say, do better. <laughs> Are you sure you want to say that? Be better. Say something else. <laughs> Write different sentences. But after that... And then you say to me, why are you so mean to me? <laughs> this is invariably the conversation that we have. You are. You're so mean. I am so mean. Uh, but no, you're after that though. For me, yes, the middling eh, movie yeah. is the hardest to write about. So, so uh, here's the thing: before, even before 2020, those little, those little movies. When I say little, I mean appearing on one screen in Los Angeles for a week or two, and then goodbye. Yes, you know. They always have sent them to me on screening links. Yes. I've watched more movies on my laptop in the past seven years than... In a theater? Than in a... No, not 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 that, not more than in a theater, but... but Well, actually, like you know what? In a theater the, in the last seven years. 2020, 2020. That's true. So, yeah, that threw sure. off the whole that balance. That just threw off everything. Yeah. Um, and it's why, whenever I get a chance, when a, on an art house film is screening... Uh, and I didn't review it, you know, for the rap. Mm -hmm. It's just a film I want to see. I will jump out of my seat to go to the West Side, yeah, to the Royal or the Monica, to purchase a ticket and support. to the Lum to the Lumiere over in Beverly Hills. I buy that ticket. I sit in that theater because that's the my favorite version of this. Sure. So it's like a sword, really, because you. You pick a movie you really want to review because you really want to write about that movie. But then you're going to inevitably have to watch it on your laptop. <laughs> Alas. Then if you have time, you know, you might want to go see it again on a screen if you can, you know. Anyway, so I'm halfway through the Salvador Farragamo movie. I had to stop. Which we'll talk about next time. To do this. That opens up. This opens. That opens this Friday. So we'll talk about it next episode. Um but I feel like I'm half on the ball today because I've already got dinner on the stove. Yes. And it's just sitting there waiting. 
waiting for me to figure out how to cut the spiciness because I think I put in too much uh, red pepper flakes. Uh, Cream. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a whole. There are many ways you can cut the heat. If some, if you've, if you've accidentally overspicied something, there are ways you can throw in a potato. You can. I mean, you ain't wrong. Yeah. Um, but so, uh, but it's just, it's basically done, and it's just sitting on the stove. All I have to do is put the immersion blender in it to, you know, creamify it a mm-hmm. bit. It's a white bean stew with fennel and uh, leeks and garlic. Leeks and garlic and celery and carrot, and there will be chard at the very end. You don't want to get that too cooked. Mushy. You don't want to, yeah, that doesn't want that, that's, that wants to be at the end. Yeah. But uh, I, I love... I love it. A, I love it when it rains here, <laughs> which is what it has done today. Is that why you're making soup today? Because it rained and it's cold and it's rainy. Yeah, okay. that's <laughs> yeah. What is the? I haven't made a soup or a stew in like since spring. Sure. So, and you know how much I love to do that because it's all in one pot. Well, it's all in one pot, and you, you know, you don't have to think of all two other things to serve with it. Right. Dunk some bread into it or whatever if you want. Oh, I want. I know you will. We have it. Yes. We have the bread. I know. I bought it. <laughs> I pun. <laughs> I pun. Exactly. <laughs> we have five movies to talk about. We do. Uh, I will need you to pause the recording at some point. Uh-huh. So that I can go uh, taste my creation. Sure. And adjust things while it sits over there. All the flavors. The flavors need to be... Calmed. You know, balanced and, and nice. Yes. Before I hand you a spoon and say, shut up and eat. Soup's on, I believe. Yeah. That's what you meant. On the table. Yes. In your bowl. In your mouth. Where shall we begin? Why don't we go back in time to like three weeks ago when Till opened. Mm. In a limited release. Yes. But it is still sort of expanding. Currently? Yeah, it's it is very much an award season movie, so I think they are in no giant rush. But yeah, they uh, yeah. it will be getting out to all the places. So this is Till from director Shinoye Shuku. Yes, and tell people what the story is. Uh, Shinoye Shuku, who probably best known for the film Clemency from a few years ago uh-huh. with Alfred Woodard. Uh, this is about uh, a you know major. Event, uh, tragedy in the uh, history of the civil rights movement in the United States. In 1955, teenager Emmett Till traveled from Chicago to Mississippi. He was 14. Yes. Yeah. Uh, You know, had been raised not in the South and, uh, you know, was not quite ready for the uh, level of oppression going on down there. Uh, You know, whistled at a white woman. Which was enough to stir the ire of a lynch mob who brutally murdered him. Uh, his body sent back up north and his mother, Mamie, insisted on not just an open casket funeral, but had the press take photographs of the horrors that had been visited upon her child's body. Yeah. And that was a major turning point in how the media covered... Uh, what was going on in the United States at that point? It was. It became this thing where it took violence that was an abstraction to a lot of people and suddenly made them look at it 
and made them sort of, you know, process what was going on and what was being done, you know, by people who were legally getting away with it. Like, that, not nobody, nobody involved in this ever went to jail, faced any kind of punishment. There was this ridiculous trial that took place, which the film is, I think, one of the highlights of the film, really. The, 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 the extended take of Daniel Deadweiler as Mamie on the, uh, on the stand... Uh, telling her story and responding to what you know the the cross examination questions. Yes, um, and as we find out at the end of the film, the the anti lynching act that had you know been proposed multiple times over the decades was finally passed like in the last year. Something yeah, crazy like that. Yes. Um, so yeah, so this is a Republicans. Oh yeah. Uh, Conservatives, of course, uh, across the decades, because back in the day, the Democrats were the conservatives. Um, the uh, conservatives throughout the decades have blocked this. Yes. Google the Southern strategy if you yeah. don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so so this is a movie that is about this sort of the, this bleak and terrible occurrence, but that was also uh, transformed into a a moment that really had an impact on a continuing movement in this country. Um, and the marketing of it in that regard was really interesting because I remember seeing like the sort of mass audience trailer for this where they sort of set it up as kind of important history biopic. Yeah. And then when I went to see The Woman King, same, there was a separate trailer that was cut clearly for black audiences. Yes. Basically saying, this is not going to be a movie that wallows in black tragedy. Yeah. We're not going to like linger on the crime. We're not going to linger on the violence. And the film was very smart about that. Uh, you know, there were a lot of objections after like 12 Years a Slave came out yes. about the, the lingering on that kind of stuff. Yes. And so it, it all takes place sort of at a distance, at a remove, in a barn that we never go into. Um, the killing itself. The killing itself. Yes. And so, you know, we're able to dwell mainly on the repercussions of this act and, and you know, the tragedy of the act itself. Yeah. I think there's a lot that is really terrific about this movie, starting with Danielle Deadweiler. Like, she's her performance is extraordinary. I agree. I was not familiar with her until now. Yeah. Um, but again, like, that trial scene is a masterclass in close-up. You know, in terms of like how to hold the camera, how to every tiny thing passing across her face is telling you so much about what this woman is feeling and how she is presenting herself in this hostile public place. Right. Um, what I think, and again, I don't want this to be like the movie I wanted to see, but I think what makes the Till story unique is that it's so much about the media mm -hmm. and how, you know, you know, people who were put in this terrible situation rather than merely mourn the death of a loved one turned it into an outward facing, you know, act of activism. Yes. And I don't think the film digs into that enough. Really? Yeah. I mean, like they talk about it, that people will come up to Mamie at the funeral and talk about how brave it is and how great that she's doing it. Yeah. But like, I think. There's a spinning headline montage. There's some way to sort of demonstrate, like, this is what it looked like when people who ordinarily paid no attention to this kind of news were faced with the brutality of this murder. Like, there's one bit where you see, like, a white family watching television or something, but it doesn't... I don't know. I, I think that's... If you're going to tell the Till story, that's a big part of the story. 
are we saying that we think this galvanized white people? Because I don't think it did. I don't. I'm not saying it galvanized. It white was people. 1955, right? But I think I think that for a lot of white people, it was the first time. Like, if you didn't live in the South, right? And you know, and you were not you were not around physically where like lynchings were taking place. Yeah. You hear that word, you get an idea of what it is, and that's one thing. Yeah. And then you see the photos of Emmett Till's body, and that's something else entirely. And I've seen other things, like in, in Stuck Rubber Baby, it comes up. It's yes. a graphic novel or graphic memoir by Howard Cruz. I've seen people write about the impact of seeing those photos yes. as white people in that era. Yes, of course. If you were a, a thoughtful, kind white person in that era, and you saw the photos of Emmett Till in that open casket, you would not fail to be horrified and, and moved and wanting to do what you could. Exactly. So I just But I, that wasn't most white people back then. No, I, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not trying to say that it was. I'm just saying I think that this movie could have gone into more like you know, some of the decisions made along the way were like, you know, Jet Magazine ran them originally. And yes. it wasn't until later that, like, life, I think, picked them up. Uh-huh. You know, I, I think there's there's a story in there about, like, who, how this got decided. And you who, wanted more than, than Mamie Till Mobley's personal transformation. You wanted a, a, a through line historically of how this came to affect other events yeah, in history. The, the reverberations okay. of her decision. Yes. Okay, so uh, on that point, I... Sure, I guess you're right uh, that it doesn't dig into that very much. Uh, but what it does do, I think, is extraordinary. And I, it is so meticulously, this is, I'm talking about the filmmaking here. It is mm-hmm. so meticulously detailed, not just setting, not just place, not just tone, not just the attitude of the people who are involved or 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 onlookers mm-hmm. to this situation? Um, it is, but it is also very uh, methodical about capturing maybe Till Mobley's transformation. Yes, how she she just wants to be a mom. Yeah, she just wants to be a mom, and she loves her son, her only child. Um, her husband was killed in World War II. She's raising. Emmett alone. She left the South to, or rather her mother left the South. Her mother played by Whoopi Goldberg. Her mother left the South for all of these reasons. And so Emmett Till has been raised in this sort of cocoon of protection. Yeah. And not having to know about the atrocities that take place you know, a few states to the south. Right, where his family is. Like, he's family visiting yeah. family. He's spending the summer with family. So her warnings to him, you got to... Keep your eyes down. Keep your eyes down and pay attention to everything that your cousins are doing because they know how to be right. in this environment. Make yourself small. Um, and, I mean, she knows she's still in a racist country. Yeah. It's just that in Chicago, where they live, it takes on a slightly more subtle form in the beginning of the film. Sure. She takes him to Lord & Taylor to go shopping. And there is a, a manager or security, security person <laughs> who is sort of, and where are you going, you know, yeah, to her. I'm and she said, him. I'm going to go here and buy this. Yeah. And are you telling everyone about 
Yeah, the, are you asking the everyone? sale in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, she, she works... Uh, so for, she knows how to address it there. Right. She works for the Air Force and is like the one person of color in the entire office. And you get a sense of like the microaggressions there. But yes. it's obviously not remotely the same as being right. in Mississippi. So she knows that he's not prepared for the South as a very free-spirited 14-year-old. Right. Um, I love, as you said, Daniel uh, Deadweller's performance. And you're right about the close-ups. It is everything on her face is everything in this film. Yeah. Uh, from beginning to end, not just in the one courtroom scene. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Um, the... The exhaustion of having to deal even with people who are on your side. Yeah. Um, the the uh, the the nonstop insult of having to, you know, prove that you were an actual parent. Yeah. You know, who loved their child and and you know everything that is assumed about you. Uh, takes on this this weight. Um, she goes to Mississippi and all the other black people she meet are like, Mrs. Mobley, Ms. Mobley, Ms. Mobley. Right. And as soon as she walks in the courtroom and white people start talking to her, it's all Mamie. Like they talk to her in that unearned familiarity as though yep. she's a servant. So the subject matter here, uh, and I'm guessing the filmmakers thought this way. The subject matter here is 67 years old now. Yeah. This happened 67 years ago. Nine years before I was born. Mm. That's basically the same time. Yeah. The world doesn't move that quickly. No. So this happened in 1955. I was born in 1964. And... I was born in Georgia in 1967, believe me. We risk forgetting... White people especially risk yes. forgetting what the world was really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a film like this is, I hate to say a film is important because it gives it a an air of homework Yeah, that people go, hmm, I don't know, do I want to see an important movie? No, you want to see a good movie. And it's this about, is a good movie. About important subject. About an important subject. Um, it is important to see how this all played out in... In a film that understands the time frame in which the events took place, mm-hmm. how it marked a moment in the world. So the details of the film matter, I think, very, very much. How how uh, how maybe Till Mobley moves through the world, uh, sort of uh, more carefully, like the way she makes the NAACP stop and wait for her. To give them the okay to do the things they need to do. If that detail is accurate, that she wanted what she wanted, mm-hmm. and she got what she wanted. Right. It's an important detail because what it means is that she had to grieve as a mother before she could figure out the next step in order to, you know, allow people around her who already knew about, you know, how to be activists, mm-hmm. how to use that situation for the greater good. Right. Um, but again, like I say, you see it all in her face. It's just, it's wrenching. Um, 
I loved also how the camera moves through this film to communicate anxiety, to commute instability, mm. uh, to communicate to communicate instability. There, there are, there are moments when Emmett Till is in the store, right? The store where he meets uh, the white woman and tells her she looks like a movie star. Yeah. Uh, it feels almost like the camera's moving faster than he is. Like it's it's kind of a blur mm. in that in that moment, and and it's and it, partially it's because I knew what was coming. Sure, like I knew that this was the the moment that was going to set it all in motion, but the camera's doing that work as well. Well, because it's it's the kind of moment where people are thinking back and trying to remember exactly what happened and how, uh-huh. and so yeah, the camera is giving that sense of like it's all happening too fast. It's a quieter film than you might be expecting. Mm-hmm. I think when you get to a film like this at the end of the year, and you know, there has to be that Oscar clip, and I know which one they're going to use. You know, it's on the witness stand. Well, yeah, um, but it's it is an anti bombastic moment. Yeah, it doesn't have to amp up excitement or drama because it's all right there. Another thing I loved about it is that white audiences watching this film have no Emma Stone yes. <laughs> to guide them <laughs> through or to identify with. Um, to let them off the hook. We've talked about this so many times in films that are set in the past and that involve lots and lots of racist white people. Yes. They invariably include a non-racist white person that... That good white people of the 21st century can look at and say, you know what? I would have been like that person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, the good white person, it allows the film to do th- two things. It makes racism a character trait of bad people rather than an entire system that harms everybody in this country. Because white supremacy is also bad for, for white people. Yes. Um, it also means that studios rarely trust audiences with that information. <laughs> uh, a good white character lets people off the hook. And a good white person has to be uh, uh, sort of on the side, even even if they aren't the main character. They just have to be somewhere in the movie. Linda Cardellini in Green, Green Book, Book yeah. is the good white person who, who's good from the beginning yes, and who isn't racist at all. We don't know how she's not racist. We don't have anyone explaining this to us because there's no chance that she wasn't raised by racist white people. Yeah. I was raised by racist white people. Me too. I was raised in the Northeast of the United, of the United States where you think all those liberal <laughs> New Englanders, <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't like that. And the, 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 we've also talked about this many times in the past. The media that you and I grew up with in the 70s yes. was already selling the story of everything's fixed. <laughs> yes. Everything's fixed. and Because everybody has one black friend. When you're a child, <laughs> you look at what's on TV or in the movies and you think, okay, well, I guess everything's fixed. Yeah. I guess something was bad before everything got fixed, but now everything's now fixed. Like they talk about there was something bad in the past. I don't know what that thing is. I'm seven. But uh, apparently... It's gone now, <laughs> and all you had, all I had to do was look around and listen to things my father said, things my uncles said, things my stepfather said, insane things that I can never repeat. Yeah. Um, and as I grew older and heard those things come out of 
the mouths of adults who were charged with turning me into a decent human being, I remember thinking, wait a second, you talk like Archie Bunker. And I knew about Archie Bunker because I'd watched that show as a right. kid. Yeah, I knew he was the bad person. Right? So what I'm saying is, Till is a good movie. <laughs> and, and every detail of American history, if it hasn't been made into a movie that someone is pressuring you into watching, it should be. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. I want to give a shout out to Jalen Hall who plays Emmett because I think a really tricky thing to do is to create a character in a handful of scenes that the audience loves and carries with mm-hmm. them for the rest of the movie. I'm reminded of Chris O'Donnell in Fried Green Tomatoes. Right. Does this really yeah. well. Barely in the movie, but you know why Like his death totally shatters... Mary Stuart Masterson, um, right? You know, so yeah, like I, I think that that there's a real skill to that, and he makes Emmett so appealing, and so you know, you just you understand why people love him so much. Well, they got a kid who looks like Emmett Till. If you've seen, you yes. know, photos of Emmett Till, um, and and he has a a a a, a, a supernaturally sweet face. Mm. <laughs> so you are immediately you immediately see him and you know what the movie's about going yeah. in and you think oh no sweet boy and yeah yeah good casting and he's he's great in those moments that he has the few really that he has and and that bewilderment and, uh, uh, about what's going on around him and and why someone would want to harm him for what he doesn't even understand is a problem right Moving on to what film? You tell me. Okay, Call Jane. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also uh, based on a, a true events of yes. the not-so-distant past that continue to reverberate to today. Uh, there is a documentary that we need to watch called The Janes. Yeah, I've never seen it. It's currently on HBO Max. Uh, and this narrative film called Call Jane, both of which premiered at Sundance this year. And uh, so this is the fictionalized version. It stars Elizabeth Banks as a woman in 1968 Chicago. She is a lawyer's wife. She leads a very comfortable life. She has a teenage daughter. She is pregnant again and happy about this. Yeah. Until she discovers that um, there are health issues involved where the pregnancy uh, could very likely kill her. Yeah. But it's 1968 and the all-male board of the hospital... Uh, does not think that there's she is at enough of a risk to uh, mandate uh, a medical abortion, so she has to look for uh, you know uh, underground uh, support. She finally finds a group called the Janes, which is a phone network of women who connect women in need with abortion providers. And after uh, getting one, she gets involved with the Janes and helps out with driving people, with answering the phones, and you know eventually gets. Uh, more, more and more deeply involved in the work that they're doing and um, becoming friends particularly with a woman named Virginia played by Sigourney Weaver who is a lesbian who is one of the coordinators um, also uh, one of the, the main Janes is a woman named Gwen played by Wunmi Masaku from Lovecraft Country and so uh, this is the directorial debut of uh, Phyllis Nage who wrote the screenplay for Todd Haynes's Carol and I've kind of been describing it as like the kind of movie that Jane Fonda 
used to produce and star in a lot in the yes. late 70s and early 80s. You, know, you have to be old enough to know what he's talking about. Here. You know, com- Coming Home is about a sheltered housewife who learns about Vietnam. And, uh, you know, The China Syndrome is about a uh, sheltered, you know, TV newswoman who learns about the dangers of nuclear energy. And uh, 9 to 5 is about a sheltered divorcee who learns about workplace discrimination. Right. And so Elizabeth Banks is sort of our, like, audience surrogate of, you know, happy housewife who's not politically active, who because of, you know, personal, uh, a personal connection to the cause um, gets involved in something that she never thought she was going to. And it's good. And it, and it, yep. it, is, it is entertaining in the way that those Jane Fonda movies are in that it is telling you, you know, things you should know about Vietnam and nuclear energy and workplace discrimination, uh, but is also like well acted and well written. It is a story that moves along and keeps you engaged. Yeah. Uh, on its own, you know, without uh, hammering home, you know, the, the, the bigger issues. And obviously there is a bigger issue going yes. on right now. Yes. Um, we have. Uh, we are recording this the week before the midterm election. election day. Yeah. And everything could go to hell. Yeah. It's already halfway there. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court sent back, if you don't live in the United States, let me explain it to you. The Supreme Court uh, overturned a decision that took place in 1972, three? Yeah, something like that. Uh, that legalized uh, abortion in the United States. Now, they didn't make abortion illegal by doing this, but what they did do was allow states to decide. And immediately... Uh, a lot of states decided a lot of the conservative to make states it illegal. decided to make it illegal straight up. Yeah. Um, there could still be a way for this to reverse back to full nationwide legality, but it will not happen if Republicans come in and control Congress. And that is what we are at risk of right now uh, with the elections coming up next week. So, the movie. This is a a, a fine directorial debut from yeah. Phyllis Nash. Uh, it is a straightforward indie drama. You know, it's not uh, it's not especially stylish. No. There, she's not out to distract you with, hey, look at me, I'm a new filmmaker and I've got something to show you. And Look where I'm going to take my camera. Right. The focus is entirely on the story. Yes. And the fictional dramatization of it. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is a, a, a film that is set 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago, that is extremely relevant right now. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, it's her movie. She has been allowed as a as a character not to think about the world around her, Um, and you, unfortunately, human beings are such that if they are uh, in a a cushion, they don't actively seek not to have that cushion, and so. you know, when she finally realizes that she needs something that she cannot have and that her position in the culture won't protect her or, or, or grant her access or grant to her it. access to that thing, uh, you get to watch her develop her consciousness. It comes alive 
yeah. uh, to the world around her. And she becomes not just, you know, engaged for her own sake, but on behalf of everyone who needs an abortion. Yeah, you, you sort of, you, you sense this, she, she's really good. I mean, the film is really good at sort of spelling out the awakening that this woman undergoes, not just about sort of understanding that, you know, women need to have access to this, but she starts out rather judgmental about other women and how they got pregnant and why and, right. you know, how they live their lives and stuff. And it's the, the more time she spends around these other women and in this very sort of supportive atmosphere kind of comes to, you know, understand, you know, she understands other people better, understands herself better. Um, yeah, Sigourney Weaver, another knockout performance. Uh, if you have not seen uh, The Good House, I think it's now streaming. It's it's uh, you can get it on demand, and so you know she's on fire this year. Uh, a, a great scene with um, the ever reliable John Magaro as a right. cop. Uh, moment of tension uh, Kate Mara plays her neighbor like it's it's you know I think Naja's really good at working with actors here this is a it's a it's a fine ensemble and uh, yeah this is a movie that is tragically very of the moment yeah next movie mm-hmm. is called All That Breathes yes uh, by Shanok uh, Sen and this is a documentary it won the documentary award uh, at uh, the Cannes Film Festival. It also won the documentary award at Sundance. I, if I'm not mistaken, there has not been a documentary that has done that uh, t- until now. That's what the press notes were saying. Is. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't get any press notes. <laughs> so uh, it's about uh, two brothers... And their friend. Uh, the two brothers' names are Nadim and Saud. And their friend's name is Salik. They live in New Delhi. They are Muslim. And they are uh, a three-man team <laughs> devoted to protecting a bird known as the black kite. My understanding of the black kite uh, is that it is roughly the same status in the world as the pigeon. Right. (laughs) And, but something is happening to the black kites in New Delhi. They are dropping from the skies uh, dead. And it is largely due to the fact of, you know, pollution. This is an environmental catastrophe taking place. The ones that drop from the sky and live, they, uh, People bring them, bring the birds to them, or they collect them themselves. Yeah. And they uh, they nurse them back to health and put them back out. And they have, uh, during the course of the film, you see them applying for uh, uh, international funding so that they can build a, a wildlife rescue hospital right. in New Delhi. Uh, uh, over the course of the film being made, they are profiled in the New York Times. Yes. They are also uh, in the midst of a, uh, a political upheaval. Right. There was a, uh, a Citizenship Act in the year 2019. It was called the Citizenship Act, which very specifically discriminated against Muslims. Yeah. So it allowed for... 
refugees uh, of all faiths except Muslims. Persecuted religious minorities who, who are refugees in India, it allowed a path to citizenship for them unless they're Muslim. Yeah. And what the effect of it is, is that, you know, Muslims who are already living there experience more persecution and violence and protests against the Citizen, Citizenship Act themselves turned violent when anti-Muslim, you know, mobs and uh, authorities killed Committed me. violence. Yeah. So during the course of the film, you see that they are in a part of the city that is relatively peaceful. And uh, I think it's uh, uh, Nadim's wife mm -hmm. who is going off to one of the protests, uh, one of the women's protests. Right. And, and at times she also comes back and helps with the birds as well. So she's integral in all of this. But, you know, at one point he's sitting on a stoop out, out at night, sort of on patrol, really, for people coming to their neighborhood to, to you know, create violence. Right. And they're saying, this is just like a mile away. You know, all of this thing that we're seeing in the news is just a mile away. And it is a, an interesting juxtaposition of, you know, these three men who are gentle and thoughtful and committed to this, you know, this work that is itself part of an unfolding tragedy. You know, it's an environmental tragedy. Right. Uh, and they continuously, they sort of very peacefully, very steadfastly keep doing this work, even in the face of it. You know and they know it's never going to be enough. Like, you can't recycle your way out of this. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The... The corporations that own the world are going to kill all of us if we don't stop them. If you can't figure out a way to stop them, even in a small way, if what you can do is nurture the injured or broken along the way, that's something. Yeah. It is a small thing, but it's a real thing, and it's valuable. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, this is a movie that I think is taking on a lot and it could have been, I think, really sort of clangy with its metaphors. You have the kites who are trying to just live their lives in air that is poisoned and you have, you know, these guys who are trying to live their lives among sort of, you know, rhetoric that is poisoned and, you know, uh, a, a toxic atmosphere of, of you know, uh, bigotry. Um, but the fact that it all meshes together so smoothly and does make these rather ultimately you know gentle but powerful points about you're right i mean how do how do we keep living how do we keep other beings around us alive and 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 provide support for them when everything in the culture is seemingly designed to destroy us all um, yeah, it's it, it's doing all that, you know, in a, in a really lovely way. I mean, it's it is activist filmmaking. Yeah, but and I said this, I I think I said this on KCRW. I don't know if it was edited out or not, but I haven't listened. I haven't listened to our segment. I Have you listened to our segment? No. Um, 
It's just the right kind of activist filmmaking in that it, it focuses on people who we know are doing something good. We, living in Los Angeles, we watch it from far away. Mm -hmm. It's playing, if you live in Los Angeles or in Southern California, it is playing currently at the Lemley Royal. We watch it from far away. We know that what they're doing is right. We know that the film is right and that the the reason this film exists is right because what it's telling us is what we should always be trying to remember as citizens. You know, we are all interdependent on each other. You know, if the if the pollution is going to kill the birds and the birds can't eat the garbage, right. The garbage is going to overtake the city, right? If the pollution is going to kill whatever's happening in Los Angeles that is part of the ecosystem and and it affects us, then we are part of that chain as well. Yeah. Um, when films focus on these kinds of connections, I think it is one of the functions of cinema. Um, and, the, and the title comes from one of their mothers uh, who said that, one shouldn't differentiate between all that breathes. Um, you know, you've got the the uh, the anti-Muslim rhetoric taking place in in India that describes you know describes your fellow human beings yeah. as rats and termites. Right. You know, the film begins with showing you rats. Yes. And that. That is a toxicity that that we will use to kill each other. Yeah. You know, you've got uh, mosques that get burned out in the course of this film. That you see it on the news. That they are watching. The, and, the, 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 the men in the film they are watching this on the news. And and as the you know sort of wave of fascism in this country is on the on the rise, yeah. you hear that sort of rats and cockroaches rhetoric thrown yeah. around all the time. Yes. Um, I don't want to. Uh, give you the wrong impression that this is super heavy because it's actually a very gentle, very yes. peaceful film. Uh, and it's beautiful to look at. Like there are, uh, there is a, there is a, a, a quality of floating <laughs> to the, to the camera work. And it is, it, it, it's not, a, it's not sledgehammering you with, no this is a big bummer and what it really is giving you is a story of of hope because people are being do, proactive they are doing what they can with what they've got to do something good yeah in the world um and the closing credits are so beautiful because i don't even want to spoil it the closing credits are so great because of what they do yeah. with the closing credits um so see this movie it is called all that breathes breathe Breathes. Breathes. <laughs> Wasps' nests. I'm a thistle. Hyacinths and thistles. <laughs> Those are two album titles from Stephen Merritt's band, The Sixth. The Sixth. <laughs> yes. Um, what else we got? What other movies are we talking about here? Oh, Armageddon Time. Armageddon Time and please, uh, baby, please. Uh, please Baby Please. Let's talk about Please Baby Please. Sure, why not? Because this it's a 
it's a trip. It, it is true. Actually, you know what? Before we talk about Please Baby Please, I want you to pause the recording so I can go season the soup. Okay. Yeah. And we have returned <laughs> from our little break. Soup update? Soup date? Um, well, you know what? A round of applause for me, please. Thank you. Uh, I have corrected the problem. The problem was that I... I over, the problem that you created. The problem that I created yes. was that I put too much uh, uh, heat-giving spices mm-hmm. into the soup. A little bit of heatness. Yeah, and you know, there's a there's a there's a balance that you want to achieve. Like, I don't know anyone who truly enjoys uh, suffering <laughs> through food that is so hot. Uh, you've lived in Texas. I'm not saying that every once in a while that's not fun <laughs> to have something that's so spicy it makes you cry and sweat. Uh huh. That's that's a good time sure. sometimes. Sure. Right. Clears your tongue. You know what? It's it's Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody's got time for that. That's, that's not today. Um, no, I just made this. I'm making a white bean stew, and uh, and I, I I I had a heavy hand with the with the the, the red pepper flakes. Uh, I should have. This will this will learn me to measure, rather than just throw things into the uh, pot, but. Um, there are many ways that you can cut the heat from something you're making, and I've successfully done it. Bravo. I added more, more cannellini beans to the mix and then immersion blended them in. So they really like that neutral thing absorbs a lot of the, yeah, uh, the hotty, hot, hot. Also by adding more beans to it, I have effectively made far too much <laughs> so half of it's going to go in the freezer uh and then you and i are going to have a beautiful beautiful meal well all right yeah do you have chives to put on top no hmm. wow. no no alonzo no well no no <laughs> you can't have chives today <laughs> then i'm leaving uh, it's full of leeks, though. Yes. Yeah. That's in the allium family. Sure, I guess. But, you know. You love a leek. I do love a leek, but I also yeah. love, like, a fresh chive on top. Like, do you? pop of green. You know? mm. Well, there's going to be a pop of green in it because I'm adding all that, that chopped up chard. Yeah, yeah, I know. But that's not the same. So good for you. I, I'm eating it. Chard is so good for you. It, it and would, delicious. It would have to be good for you because why else would you put it in your mouth? Because it's delicious. It is it's, not delicious. It's a bitter green you that have is wonderful. You have convinced yourself that it is delicious, but we all know it is not. You know that I'm right. I, I know no such thing. Talk about please, baby, please. I will. Uh, so this is a very stylized um, musical question mark? Musical question mark. It is the third feature from Amanda Kramer. Yes. Who made Lady World and Paris Window. Yes. I have not seen either of those films. Nor have I. But I want to now because if I, I, I if this film is an indication of what she does. Yeah, I'm curious about Bring what, more of this to what me. What she's about exactly. 
So Andrea Riesboro and Harry Melling play a sort of 1950s bohemian couple. Yeah. Uh, one night they encounter a, a gang of toughs. Uh, leather-clad street gang led by Carl Glussman as Teddy. They are, uh, yeah, the the young gents. The young, I think they, the they young, call themselves yeah, the young gents. Yes, Carl Glussman looks basically like Marlon Brando in Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, the wild one. The wild one. Excuse yes. me. Not Rebel Without a Cause. That's James <laughs> Dean. Yes, it is. Who am I talking about I anyway? I wonder sometimes. The wild one. Excuse me. Anyway. Uh, and this encounter... I'm a, I'm a fraud, is really what, <laughs> what's happening here. You have Exposed. me to footnote you. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the encounter leaves the couple rather shaken. Uh, Andrea Riesboro, um sort of, it unlocks a desire in her to, first to be dominated and then to be dominant. Yes. Uh, and uh, it unlocks in Harry Melling... Uh, Gay- gayness. Gay- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's be very clear. Bisexuality. Yes. yes. In her and him and, well, everyone in this film. Yeah, and even bisexuality feels like it's putting too fine a point on it. Yeah. If ever a movie was panned, it's That's this right. one. That's right. Here we go. Uh, this is a horny movie. <laughs> um, but it's also very much a... You know, it is using the 1950s as a commentary on the rigidity of gender roles and yeah. how people are raised and what expectations they are meant to have in life. Um, you know, it uh, it is the kind of movie that wears its low budget proudly um, in that you get like... Ostentatiously. Yes, like, very much like, so. Like, it's, it's, it's asking you to notice that the sets appear to be made of cardboard and tempera paint. Like, yeah. it is... It is Cheap and stylish and cool all at the same time. Yeah, it it it, is, it all has an intentionality to it. That very uh, uh, um, Guy Madden sort of thing where sure. you know these these sets are we got these Our sets, sets. <laughs> things we got at the drugstore we used to build sets. Yeah. yeah, we know we're telling you we're in an apartment or a nightclub or a movie theater, but these are sets, y'all. <laughs> um. So yeah, and so the, this has a, a you know the, the, it's a lot of fun and it's very it it knows exactly what it's doing and how it's doing it. Uh, you get a great um, supporting performance from the wonderful Cola Scola playing a handful of roles. They they walk off with every scene. Oh yeah, that they're in. Yeah. Um, the the outfits, the wigs, the. There's a whole phone booth number where the phone booth seems to be part of the outfit. Right. Um, what what kind of... Cola Scola's singing in this film is... Uh, performance cabaret... Uh, yes, yes. It is emotive. You're not, you're not going to confuse it for good singing, but you're also going to enjoy it. It is heartfelt singing. Yeah. Uh, we get a we get a Demi Moore cameo, which is yeah. always fun. But she's in a couple scenes, right? Uh, yeah, she's in the she's in one scene at the beginning and then, and then a brief appearance at the, the end. end. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, th- this is this is a movie that has you know made by somebody who's watched a lot of Kenneth Anger and a lot of John Waters um, and a lot of David Lynch and a lot of David Lynch and Dana Ashbrook is in the movie. Oh, that's true. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so it's. It's like that. Yeah. This is a film about people who stumble into 
a sexual anarchy. A, 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 they stumble into a place where they can uh, begin uh, their own sexual anarchy. True, the journey where it, they 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 don't just question their sexuality and their gender. They go off and actively begin, you know, sorting it out in right. real time with real people. Uh, I think Carl Glossman, if you saw Gaspar Noé's Love, yes, uh, then you've seen everything that Carl Glossman has in this in Head this to in this life. Um, but what I love that he's doing here is pushing it in that pushing it back in that Gaspar Noé direction, where I read an interview with him when Love came out, and the interview was like, "You have real sex in this movie." And we see everything you're doing, and we see every bit of your body, and we see everything that happens in sex. And he said, yeah, because if I didn't do it, it would have been some other guy. And I would have looked at this movie and thought, that just should have been me. Why was I too scared to do that? And, you know, because the whole thing of, oh, you're so brave. Right. I like him as an actor because I mean he's not a name yet really he's he works consistently he's in a lot of stuff yeah he's but in people nocturnal don't animals don't know and his and, name yet but you 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 get to know the face you're like oh that guy that guy when you when you watch him in a film he's always sort of you you can see I don't want to say that you can see him acting but you can see him thinking. <laughs> Okay. And I think that's different. <laughs> sure. Um, the, so I think, I think he's great in the film. Um, Marilyn Raskob is in yes. this in a very brief moment. Uh, Harry Melling is suitably twitchy throughout. Like you, you, you get a real sense from him that he would love to leave behind Everything that brought him to the public attention, sure. public's attention. I, it's that tricky thing that happens to you when you're a kid and you grow up in a hugely successful franchise, right? Um, which is what he did. In the David Lynch sense, this is a movie where these aren't necessarily like classically great performances, but they're exactly what the movie they calls are, for. As you said earlier, they are highly expressive performances. It's yeah. uh, sort of a musical. It is uh, extremely theatrical, using that low budget to emphasize the theatricality. Uh, I love how the tension of it all unfolds as they discover more about themselves and what they really want to be in life. Uh, the dialogue is never an exchange of sentences between two people who are having anything resembling a normal discussion. No. <laughs> they are sort of poetic recitations <laughs> uh, where they are telling you what they are doing. They are addressing a topic. You don't know <laughs> if they even know where they're going. <laughs> um, it, it's a film you should just see. Yeah. Uh, it is an assertion of queerness in a world that still hates queerness, even though it's set in the 1950s. Yeah. Like Call Jane, it is it is a, it is a period piece that is utterly of the moment. Yeah, uh, and it's playing in very limited release right yes. now. It's like at one theater in Los Angeles. I assume it'll stream pretty quickly. Probably so. Um, and now we have the new film from James Gray. Yes, Armageddon Time, which 
if you are a fan of The Clash, you know that earlier in there, way back in the 80s, they had a song called Armageddon Time. Oh, I didn't know. Which is kind of, in my opinion, because this song is in the film, Mm -hmm. I think that's where the title comes from. Probably. Um, And I'll get to, I'll go back to that in a bit after we talk about the film. Uh, It's about uh, an 11-year-old boy in Queens, played by uh, Banks Banks Rapeta. He's been around for a while. Really? I didn't know much about him. Uh, I know he was in the black phone, but I don't quite remember him from the black phone. Mm. Uh, Yeah, because when I got out of the film, I I said, where are they getting these kids, (laughs) these kid actors, who look like they just stepped off the sidewalk and then onto the film set? Like... There's a new kind of kid acting taking place under our noses, and it involves uh, everything that is the opposite of how they trained uh, kids to be on shows like Kids Incorporated. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that polished the, the you know, thing. The thing that Vanessa Bayer does on SNL, the news. Yes, yeah, that kind of thing. That that kind of kid acting, I hope, is on the on the way out. There will always be a place for it, unlike. You know, Nickelodeon sitcoms. sitcoms and stuff. Yeah, you know, but but yeah, I, I think you're right. There, we are seeing an, 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 a, there's a mini wave, no pun intended, of child acting that is far more naturalistic yes. than I have seen in a while. Uh, I'm blanking on the kid's name. The kid from Come On, Come On. I'm yes. thinking about him doing this, and then you hear him talking during. He's the, not even a. Press junk and he's British, he's 10, he's doing a perfect American accent and, and he's talking about how, you know, Joaquin, it was really wonderful to work with him and watch him, his process. And I'm like, okay, now you're terrifying me. Um, so anyway, uh, it's about a kid who grows up in Queens. It's 1980. His mother is uh, played by Anne Hathaway. His father is played by Jeremy Strong. His grandfather... Uh, is played by Anthony Hopkins. He goes to a private. He goes to a public school. Yes. Uh, he has a best friend there, played by uh, Jalen Webb, uh, a kid named Johnny. He's like the one black kid in class, and he's always in trouble, even though he never does anything wrong. The garbage teacher mm. uh, that they have is constantly on this kid. Uh, the garbage teacher is constantly also on uh, the kid named... The kid's name is Paul. Yes. Uh, Banks Rapita's name is Paul in the film. Uh, the garbage teacher is played by Andrew Polk, who is a great character actor. He's in a lot of stuff. And he is a person you want to punch in the face well, his, every his, time his, he's on screen His name here. is Mr. Turkletob. So yeah. you know he's gone through life with a chip on his shoulder. Right. So uh, they are a Jewish family. And... The grandfather, uh, very, as it's as it as it is as it is uh, uh, appropriate, talks to Paul about what it means to be Jewish in the world, and why his grandmother had to come to the United States and escape Europe. His great grandmother. His great grandmother, and why the the people who hate his black friend also hate the Jews. Right. And so these are messages that you don't know 
if Paul, this 11-year-old, is getting, you know, adults tell you all kind of things. Yeah. And some of them absorb and some of them don't. And if they are consistently, you know, caring for you and teaching you, eventually, hopefully, you become a reasonably decent human being. Trouble happens when they wind up, when, when Paul gets moved to a private school and learns more distinctly about racism. And then he instigates a way for himself to get into trouble and for Johnny also to get into trouble. And I'll stop there in terms of the plot. What did you think about this movie? <laughs> I, I thought it was great, and I, I'm not a big James Gray fan. I, I mean, I haven't seen. We know, I have, we know. No, it doesn't come up that much. I haven't seen all. Every of time we films. talk about a James Gray film, you talk about how you're not a fan. Well, I, I'm not. I mean, people love his stuff, and, and admittedly, I have not seen everything. I'm here to, I'm here to make sure you stay accountable. Yeah, also. yeah, yeah. But the ones that I have seen, I they have never really done it for me. Uh, but I do love a director's sort of, you know, semi-autobiographical childhood uh, reminiscence movie. Um, you know, Crooklyn is probably still my favorite Spike Lee film. Uh, you know, I, Amarcord, I think there's a lot of great ones out there. And uh, it's funny, when I, was, when I was posting our Breakfast All Day review of this, I, I described this movie as nostalgic but not sentimental. Correct. You know, it is set in 1980 and it is... I wouldn't even call it nostalgic, but you keep going. It, only in that it is about the past. Right. It is certainly not a gauzy past. Because, it, no. it, again, it's set in 1980. Ronald Reagan is about to sweep in and, you know, ruin everything. Uh, there's a direct line even to the Trumps that comes up in this movie. Um, and, you know, the, there, was a, there, was a, there was an interesting tweet that I saw in the last couple of weeks in regards to Kanye West and the things he has been saying of late. Uh, where the person said, you can't really discuss black anti-Semitism in this country without talking about the history of who has and has not been considered to be white at various points in this country's history. Yes. And that's the thing we've talked about before. Um, and, you know, Jewish people certainly in this in the United States were considered outside of the realm of whiteness as it is understood Christian, British-derived whiteness and the unspoken, unwritten privileges that come with that. Exactly. By by the power structure, uh, you know, in the United States. And by 1980, you know, there is a relative amount of privilege that Paul enjoys that Johnny does not. And he has to sort of look at that for the first time. Because he has no understanding of it. None. Not even, even, not even with all the things his grandfather is telling him. Yeah. He has no real understanding of this. Yeah. Um, because he's 11. <laughs> and again, like we were saying earlier, you grew up in the 70s and all, everything around you is saying, oh, this isn't a problem anymore. Right. Until you encounter your, your classmates using the N-word. Right. And then you don't know what to do with that. And, and and even I mean and, and and like there's a whole subplot about like whether or not Anne Hathaway is going to run for the school board, right, and right. there's this issue about like are people taking their kids out of public schools because yes. that's where black people are? Yes, you know, and good liberals trying to tell themselves that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening, even when it's but happening. That's absolutely what's happening. Yeah, but mind you, for all of this sort of 
you know, the political story and, and, and that that's going on here. This is also like a movie about a kid growing up, you know? Uh, And, and I love the fact that James Gray acknowledges that he was probably kind of a little turd at 11 and doing obnoxious things the way 11 year olds do. 11 year olds do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the movie doesn't sentiment, the movie doesn't sentimentalize that character. It allows him to be selfish and annoying. I, I want to see Meet the Fablemans. Is that what it's called? The Fablemans. Sorry, it's not called Meet the... No. It's like Meet the... You're thinking Meet the Feebles. Meet the Feebles, <laughs> Meet the Fockers. Um, the Fable, I want to see the Fablemans. It's going to be... I think it's going to be very sweet. Well, it's coming out next week. This is not a sweet movie. It is this not. This is a, an astringent movie. Yes. This is a... When you talk about reminiscence or nostalgia, none of those words came to my mind while watching this film. Mm-hmm. It is simply a period film. Yeah. <laughs> it is a film set in 1980 for a very distinct reason. 1980 was the point where the United States decided it hated itself. <laughs> and and it was going to keep on doing that. And for all the all the gauzy memories that you might have of the 80s, it was a terrible terrible time. Um I was there. <laughs> yep. This is a film about a child in that time that does not give nostalgia or sentimentality one inch of room to breathe. It is dark. Uh, For me, this is a movie about larger systems acting as a vice on the people living in them. You know, uh, this kid moment by moment is learning that he is part of that system. And he doesn't, again, he doesn't understand it. But what he's learning by the film's end is what he can expect from it. And who will step in to rescue him versus who will step in to rescue his friend. Hmm. And you can guess who gets rescued and who doesn't. Right. Um, You know, his grandfather is trying to teach him about the past, how the past affects what you can do in the present. Um... It's also about a child feeling powerless against those systems, realizing that you might have some, some, you know, power. You don't know how to access it. You don't know how to use it. You, you make the wrong choices and you think that you did the right thing. You did the wrong thing, in fact. Mm. Um, And it's about how you learn sort of the responsibility of of having a, a moral character. It's uh, it's about those little decisions all, all along the way and the adults who teach you that determine your character. And I would say it's even darker than that because the the the, the social, you know, uh, element of this film, the political element of this film is about the tide that is coming, right, to sweep everyone away in the same direction to the place where we are now, which is post-Donald Trump and still in the world that Donald Trump created. I talked about this last week when we talked about Halloween ends, Mm. that we are stuck in the mire right now in the United States because of this stuff. And it started, it started even earlier than 1980. It started with Nixon. It started with Vietnam, the Vietnam War. Um, But Ronald Reagan really, but Ronald Reagan really kicked it into gear. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics of Armageddon Time, mm-hmm. by the way, 
here they are. Here's part of them anyway. A lot of people running and hiding tonight. A lot of people won't get no justice tonight. Remember to kick it over. No one will guide you. Mm. So thank you, The Clash. <laughs> uh, I think this movie is great. I think this yeah. is a great film. Yeah. I think the filmmaking is amazing. I think the uh, the performances are all uniformly excellent. I think that the... the uh, the dark quality of it might might limit its <laughs> success in the world. Sure. But James Gray, I think, is the kind of filmmaker, and I've felt this about him like for most of the films I've seen from him, where his ability to to merge character, story, setting, and mood and everything, he's he is like a baker, <laughs> you know, where you, you, everything is in balance. Mm. And I, I really admire that kind of, that kind of approach. I, I, I admire what he's achieved. I need to go back and see the ones I haven't seen. Maybe I've just picked the wrong ones this whole time, but I do like this one Alonzo. a great deal. Alonzo, maybe there's just something wrong with you. Also, a what, have you considered that you are the problem? Every day. <laughs> Go see Armageddon Time. Yes. Also, check out our Patreon. Honestly, it's, these are five good movies that we've yeah. talked about. Like, we, we, we are, don't usually get an episode where they're all the winners. Five good movies. Yeah. yeah. Patreon.com slash linoleum knife if you like this. It's more of this, but uh, about different things. Food and television. We do deep dives on individual movies. We have monthly club meetings. We do uh, a weekly show about whatever the heck we want, and we record it on Facebook Live, and we it's use called Linoleum Nights. Yeah, yes. we use, we, use uh, we, we have cussing yes. on that one. Uh, if you are already a Patreon subscriber, and you aren't seeing... Uh, any content pop up this week when we talk that's content <laughs> we like to call ourselves content it's our new thing it's yeah love that we, word. we brand it. we brand ourselves now as content uh -huh. um if you haven't seen any new uh, anything dropping up any if you don't see anything popping up this week in your notifications it's because your card was denied <laughs> <laughs> it's the first of the month and that happens and that happens Every single month, I I I go and I gauge it. I watch it go boop 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 boop. Like as people realize, oh hey, I'm not hearing anything. Like what's oh my 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 card didn't work. Yeah, it expired. Oops, these things happen. I got a notification the other day that that my card was about to expire for something that I subscribed to, and I was like, well maybe I'll just let it. Maybe I'll just let it expire. <laughs> How about that? If it dies on the vine. <laughs> we have some letters. We do. The first one uh, was a personal DM to me from Kevin. Mm -hmm. But I have to read it because it's good. Okay. Dave, you can't see any more comic book MCU DC movies because Alonzo explaining them to you is the best. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I volunteer. You would, uh, no. I volunteer to never watch another one again. And I'm a liar because I want to see Wakanda Forever. I was going to say, you're totally going to Wakanda Forever. Who I also, you? you know what? I want to see the new Ant-Man. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I just do. Uh, you know, I like them. I like them Thor movies. Yeah. I like Henry Cavill as Superman. Sure. 
Like that octopus in, in, in Aquaman. That plays the drums? The one that played the drums. Yeah. Um, listen, I'll take it on a case-by-case -case basis. That, that sounds fair. Uh, but, you know, I'd be willing <laughs> to not watch any more comic book uh, <sighs> Tell movies. me about it. I would be willing. There's a lot of them. There's too many. They're, they're, they're too making, many. They're, they're making me get sick of it all. Well, we're not sick of hearing from the listening people. Heavens no. Craig says. I think it's Greg. Oh, it is. That's a G, not a C. Yes. Greg says, I was at a comedy festival a few weeks ago. And uh, opening act for the headliner straight up said, my act is basically just TikTok videos. <laughs> and therefore, basically, the act was live TikTok videos where some of his punchlines were punctuated by a boy band musical sting and some boy band dance moves. It wasn't unfunny. <laughs> but I wondered, is this the changing face of stand-up? I can see that the youth of today with their microbite consumption of entertainment just aren't as engaged with traditional media, films, TV, books, comics, magazines as the Gen Xers are, or at least certainly not in the same way. My kids are 20 and 13 and they get most of their legacy media awareness through YouTube videos, YouTube shorts, TikTok, and ads on these platforms, not even podcasts. Podcasts seem like they're for old people now, the olds being millennials and up. <laughs> Kids are truly more interested in consuming content about content <laughs> rather than experiencing it for themselves, which makes me wonder at the future of films and television and books, etc. Try to get a kid to read a book once they've held a smartphone or tablet or been given a game console. Hmm. Uh, who's the character in, in um, uh, Metropolitan who would rather read literary criticism than a novel? Oh, because yeah, that yeah, way yeah. he gets what the book is about and a take on it. <laughs> I was pondering the nostalgia waves that give the middle-agers their childhoods back. And I'm wondering what that looks like 20 years in the future when the biggest parts of today's preteen and teen pop culture is TikTok and live streaming. You had a brief lament about whether the Black Adam guy with the Let's Go video with 250,000 followers is a film critic. I sincerely think slash believe slash worry that yes... <laughs> These kind of microdose inputs are what's going to, if not already, constitute film or any criticism for Gen Z. And that quick bite, will Quibi prove to be ahead of its time? <laughs> Entertainment will start to dominate whatever remains of pop culture media over the next couple of decades. This isn't middle-aged old man griping about the youth of today, but rather just thinking about the changing tides and the shape of things to come. I don't have to like it, but it's important to be aware of the shift, except that change is in, isn't inherently bad, just different, and consciously not to be afraid of, because therein lies the path to conservatism. Oof, great. Well, I'll be taking a year off to read all of Melville, then. Oh, you should. <laughs> Billy Budd is super queer. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Larry says... I expected zero from Black Adam because of all the negative reviews, but I found that I had a good time anyway. It was fun. Many, many problems and faults, but it was fun. I was as surprised as anyone that I enjoyed it. <laughs> I think there might really be a line where critics just won't like something that has too many faults, but the people, in quotes, won't care. For example, the immediate voiceover exposition dump right when the movie starts. I thought, oh God, you're kidding. <laughs> I was lost before the movie even started, and by the time Evil King killed, 
And but by the time Evil King killed who was to become Black Adam, I readjusted and thought, okay, this is all I really need to know. <laughs> and I forgave it. I suspect that critics don't forgive that moment. Add that to several other such problems it adds up to, you get a bad critic's review. I don't think that stuff bothers a lot of people. I sat uh, near a big bunch of Black Adam comic book fans that applauded absolutely everything that harkened back to the comic. They had a blast. My audience really seemed to like it, and I liked it despite myself thinking myself a more serious filmgoer, <laughs> which is a joke. <laughs> LOL. I suspect there is a conversation to be had about the difference between being a paying movie customer who is going out as a social thing and seeing a movie with an audience, with friends, on a date, whatever, and the expectations that come with that as opposed to being somebody who, for a living, sees six of these a week. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I, I grant that's a different scenario. Yeah. Listen, I'm the people. <laughs> I am the people. I ain't people. I am the people. I am a one-man wave of populism. Okay, great. And if you're appealing to me, then you're going to appeal to everybody. <laughs> Which is why everybody loves strobe That's right. <laughs> telling you. Your head is pointier than mine. Andrew says... I now I feel like I need a t-shirt that says Halloween Ends is about the G20 Summit. <laughs> Make that shirt, I will buy one. <laughs> uh, and Brent says, Dear David Alonzo, I just got back from seeing bros. Oh, nice. As a cis white gay man of a certain age with a podcast, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And I laughed throughout the running time. However, no movie is perfect, and I do wish to file a complaint. There was far too much underwear in this movie. <laughs> Unflattering underwear at that. I wasn't expecting this to be the next short bus, though that would have been nice. But couldn't they have at least put in a call to Andrew Christian or Marco Marco <laughs> to have them pay for part of the production costs? I don't know what is what are those things. Andrew Christian, it's a brand of underwear. You've seen it. Have I? We live in West Hollywood. You've seen window displays for it at some point. Okay. What's Marco Marco? I'm guessing it's also a brand of underwear. That one I don't know. but It's like, you know, two exists or whatever. All the underwear in bros is like black or gray boxer briefs. Right. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that's what they do. I wear gigantically baggy old man boxer shorts know, the from people. Brooks Brothers and I'm the people. Look, I wear boxer briefs but, you know, they're not all black or gray. I have like some red ones. You got ones. some red ones. Yeah, that's for when you're when feeling, feeling saucy. When you're, <laughs> when you're when you're when you're horny. For some pizzazz. Yeah. Uh, Brent continues. I guess the Universal Bean Counters felt too much man-ass wouldn't play in Peoria. <laughs> uh, if you live in Peoria and you saw bros, uh, please tell us. We want to know if it played. Yes. How did it play? I, I bet if you live in Peoria, you are sick of asking of people asking you if it played. Yeah, true. Do people still say that, though? Is that a thing that people know? I don't know. Look, you're asking me. Do I'm the one who... You're all... Every, I, 
when you're being mean, when you're reviewing, re- editing my reviews, yes. you're always saying, uh, Grandpa, because I use expressions Tell me that, about are, the good old days. That, are, that are out of date. So I don't know if the, if, if the TikTokers are still saying plays in Peoria. Uh, maybe not. Uh, we're done. Are we? Yeah, we're done. This wow. is the end of the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, won't you check out the other podcasts that I'm on? Uh, Maximum, you should, you know. Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network. Breakfast All Day with Christy Lemire on YouTube and as a podcast. And Deck the Hallmark coming up. Uh, I'll be doing uh, a lot of Deck the Netflix reviews for those Christmas movies that are coming up. Uh, it is. It's 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 happening, y'all. It's Hallmark is doing it, and and Sirius XM has made the switch over to all their Christmas channels. So like we're, I, I know it's November. We're in it. The holidays are happening, and just you know, enjoy them with me, won't you? Um, thank you for Blue to Blue for our wonderful theme music. Follow him at the Blue B L E U dot bandcamp dot com subscribe to the show for free at apple Podcasts. leave us a five-star review we'll read it on the air you can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream including spotify and cast cast Castbox and podbean and the lounge.com and stitcher radio and um google play and apple music uh or sorry uh, amazon music uh, you can uh, drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com follow us on the socials at linoleumcast and uh, until next time, goodbye. <laughs>